BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Come experience what the Constitution means to me at Paramount's Copley Theater in downtown Aurora from October 4th to November 12th. Tickets are available starting at $40 online right now at ParamountAurora.com. What the Constitution means to me is hilarious, heartbreaking, and insightful. This Pulitzer Prize-nominated play shows the fight for freedom and equality is never done, but passed on from one generation to the next. Be bold with us for What the Constitution Means to Me, October 4th through November 12th. Tickets starting at $40 on sale now at ParamountAurora.com. That's ParamountAurora.com. Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, September 21st starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back Illinois 26th District Representative Cam Buckner. The Ben Jarofsky show is proudly presented by the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, anything you want to know regarding the city of Chicago. You can probably find out about it at chicagoreader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, just head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Come On, Mr. Mayor Thursday, and here's why. All right, so faithful listeners of this show know that since uh, Brandon Johnson was elected mayor of the city of Chicago, there have been two uh, moments when I've been really irritated at something his administration has done. We can make that now three. Uh, the first one, I'm not going to just going to I'm just going to highlight them. First one uh, was in one of his aides throughout that trial balloon that maybe he wouldn't reopen the mental health clinics. Uh, it was in an interview. I forget who they gave the interview with, but I went berserk over that. Mayor Johnson uh, backed away from uh, uh, that suggestion in his inaugural uh, speech. So all's well on that front, I hope. Uh, The second one was when his, uh, (laughs) it's more of a joke, when his comms team sent out the the tweet of the photo of Mayor uh, Johnson with Mayor Rahm. Uh, they had a meeting and uh, they took a photo and they put it out. And the, what was the tagline? Something like, thank you, Mayor Rahm, for your continued leadership. I was like, come on, Mayor Johnson, you were elected by a movement that was formed in opposition to that leadership. Don't rewrite history. I forgave him for that. But this one is really tough. This is the story that broke yesterday. And um, I just uh, I still can't quite believe that this is happening in uh, the city of Chicago with the government uh, that was elected by lefties uh, who have uh, been in opposition to all kinds of the private privatization deals uh, and trying to look how to use government uh, to expand opportunities for people in the city of Chicago, use government to like, like, like help people in the city of Chicago. So uh, the story here, which you probably know, if you follow the news, uh, is that uh, the administration has inked a $29 million contract with an outfit uh, called Garda World, 
they are uh, to build tents to house. Oh, I don't know. I think it's now up to about 1,600 uh, asylum seekers, uh, many of whom are now uh, camped out at police stations at O'Hare. Uh, and uh, so they're giving a $29 million contract to build tents. They're giving that contract to this outfit, Garda World, which is essentially a right-wing outfit out of Florida that's an ally of Ron DeSantis. They are receiving money uh, from the state of Florida to bus asylum seekers to cities like Chicago. And then now they're going to get money from cities like Chicago to build tent cities for the asylum seekers. I don't know if it gets more cynical than that. Why are we, the taxpayers of the city of Chicago, fortifying some right-wing outfit that's pals with Ron DeSantis when we could use our money to help people in the city of Chicago. And I'm not just talking about asylum seekers in the city of Chicago. I'm talking about long time Chicago residents in wards like the fifth ward, Desmond Yancey's ward, the fifth ward, in wards like the 21st ward, Ronnie Mosley's ward. Those aldermen were on the firing line a couple of weeks ago when residents showed up to say they were opposed uh, to attempts by the city to uh, house asylum seekers in the 5th and the 21st Ward. They couldn't see what, what they, the 5th and the 21st Ward, were gaining from this. It's They were saying that this is a long-time system in the city of Chicago where black people always get overlooked. Their neighborhoods were neglected for years and years and years. I'll go one step further. The whole freaking policy of the city of Chicago was to move black people out of the city. So it was beyond neglect. It was like a strategy. But they're taking it out right now. Their anger is fixated on asylum seekers because it's the most obvious, ready target. So my thing has always been, why doesn't, why don't our city leaders, starting with Mayor Johnson, use this quote-unquote crisis as an opportunity to do something for people who are in the city of Chicago? So when you have a meeting in the Fifth Ward, Alderman Desmond Yancey says, everybody here who wants a job, rehabbing buildings, Building housing for these asylum seekers in these homes, sign here. Good jobs, union jobs, good benefits. We're putting you to work. The fifth ward is going to gain something from this. Same thing in the 21st ward. I do not understand it. They're all lefties. They're all like the current generation of New Deal Democrats running the city of Chicago. That's why we voted for Brandon Johnson. We didn't vote for Brandon Johnson to cook up a scheme that Mayor Rahm would have come up with. Or Mayor Lori Lightfoot privatize $29 million to some right-wing outfit? You're going to use our tax dollars to benefit a bunch of DeSantis supporters? So I understand. I understand a lot of lefties who are supportive, very protective of Mayor Johnson been texting me. Ben, don't blame Mayor Johnson. It's beyond him. It's This is the results of years of foreign policy particularly with Venezuela, the crisis has been caused by capitalism. The crisis has been caused by U.S. foreign policy. It's something he inherited. You can't blame him. And I'll say, or they'll say, Ben, you can't blame him because Governor Gregory Abbott is exploiting the border crisis to like embarrass cities like Chicago and New York. And it's a, a very difficult challenge that Mayor Johnson is facing, stop blaming him. Blame capitalism. Blame Greg Abbott. Blame anybody. Just don't blame Brandon Johnson.
to which I say, yes, you have a point. Mayor Johnson inherited all this. He did not create this. But he's been in office now, I don't know, four months? I may have lost track. Could we do the counting? I think it's four months. It's like when he came into office, these busloads were being sent into Chicago. Had four months to figure something out. Like, I, I'm sorry, guys. That's not an excuse to say he didn't create the crisis. He's got four months to figure something out. This is the best he could come up with? A $29 million handout to a right-wing firm? And by the way, the, the only good thing that came out of this is that reporters in Chicago, shout out to reporters in Chicago, have had a field day, a field day, just pinpointing the outrageousness of this outfit, Garda World. Uh, here's a story from which what I, I took read about five stories block club alex hernandez shout out to you a tampa bay investigation in 2020 found garter world's armored truck division tasked with transporting millions of dollars across the country took shortcuts that put unsafe trucks on the road resulting in nearly two dozen deaths a federal government agency also reportedly warned a division of the company that its trucks were crashing too often but garda still faced few consequences for a national pattern of error-prone drivers and unsafe trucks. This is the firm we're giving $29 million to? Southside Weekly, shout out Jim Daly. Here's his lead. Garter World Federal Services, the company the city has hired to build and staff tents for asylum seekers, is a multinational security firm that has been contracted to run immigrant detention facilities in the U.S. and Canada. At one Canadian facility managed by the company, migrants went on a hunger strike to protest conditions there, and one person at the facility later died. This is the outfit that's getting our tax dollars? The Chicago Tribune, shout out uh, to uh, Alice Yen and Dan Petrella, they broke this story. Uh, the administration did not address any of the controversies and said Garter World was selected based, quote, on expediency because the company had a pre-existing master contract with the state that the city was able to piggyback on. But two months ago, records obtained by the Tribune show members of the Johnson administration raised questions about the firm. Sharing a Denver Post article about the company scuttled efforts to secure a $40 million contract to provide migrant services to the city of Denver, the city's deputy mayor for immigration, Beatriz Ponce de Leon, wrote in a July 24th email with state officials sharing this article about Denver's rejection of Garda World. We'd like to discuss possible implications here. In other words, in July, they knew this com company was not worth getting into bed to. And yet here we are. I'm so frustrated by it's not just Brandon Johnson. It's the feds and the state. We have a state governor. We have a uh, who is a Democrat, and we have a president who's a Democrat, and we have a city uh, mayor of the city of Chicago who's a Democrat. So we can't blame this on MAGA. We control the White House and the State House. There should be money in place right now for the city of Chicago to implement a program that takes care of the needs of asylum seekers and uses it as an opportunity to provide jobs for people in the city of Chicago and maybe build housing also for people, homeless people here in the city of Chicago now. This $29 million contract to this right-wing firm is not going to cut it as far as I'm concerned. Shame, shame, shame on all the lefties who are defending Mayor Johnson. We need you guys to step up and call it out. Just think, folks, if Lori Lightfoot had been suggesting this, 
or if Rahm Emanuel had been suggesting this, what would your reaction be? All right, I'm done for the moment venting. My distinguished guest, Cam Buckner, has been very patiently uh, sitting through uh, that venting. Uh, Cam, first of all, State Representative Cam Buckner, former mayoral candidate, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to see your beautiful face in conversation with me. So thank you, Cam. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Always good to be here. All right. Um, I got a whole list. I have an agenda uh, for Cam uh, and myself to follow. Uh, including some good news uh, about Cam, including some bear news. It wouldn't be a Cam Buckner appearance on the Ben Jarowski show. Uh, Cam was an outstanding football player in college and uh, high school. We didn't talk a little bears, uh, including state news, cash bail, uh, et cetera. But before I get to any of that, might as well just continue the conversation where I began. I know you're aware of the contract. I know you read the articles. I know you stay on top of these things. And you also ran for mayor. So you're always probably thinking at the back of your mind, what would I be doing if I were in this situation? So, Cam, we'll start with the general. Your general reaction to the story about the $29 million contract to build the tents. Go. Yeah, I'll say this, man. I'll start off by saying I think you're right that the mayor um, inherited a, a tough situation, right? Um, and the the only... Uh, things on the menu here are uh, bad options and worse options, right? On, on how we deal with this, but um, you know, it it is it does give some pause when you who Garter World is, what they've done in the past and in their other engagements, and it also seems in many ways that they may have created a crisis that only they can fix uh, if they're doing both the busing uh, and the housing, right? Uh, and so, listen, I, I want to give um, uh, Mayor Johnson opportunity to to talk with Chicago about what this means. I know Alderman Vasquez is having a hearing later on this month uh, about this. And so I don't want to get in front of the city council or the fifth floor on this. Um, but listen, we, we've got to be very clear uh, about the fact you have to be able to both be a welcoming city, not just in word, indeed, uh, but that has to mean that we're welcoming to the people, as you said, who have been here. And you talk about those residents of South Shore and those residents um, of, of Roseland and Washington Heights, uh, for work, looking for a way to bounce back uh, after 2020. Uh, still, you know, this needs to be a win for everybody. And here's the truth. This just may be the wave migration. And I'll push it a little bit further and say this might be the new wave migration that we need in order to keep our population where it needs to go. And I'm okay with that. That's great. Uh, but we've got to be able to do it in, in a way that's intentional. Uh, you know, Daniel Burnham, you know, we talk a lot about making no small plans. He said, don't let growth happen to you, let it happen with you, right? There's something else that he said that, that we don't have enough as, as, as Chicagoans. And, and so listen, I, I when I think about the larger implications here, uh, I just hope that we are um, being intentional about how we create jobs and opportunities for all Chicagoans. Um, we don't have a, we have a housing problem. What can we do from a policy standpoint uh, to deal with that? And I hope that we are learning then um, lessons from specifically uh, the, the great migration, right? Um, and and how folks in Chicago and, and, and Detroit and around the country tried to isolate a new population economically, residentially, socially, uh, and used a bunch of methods like redlining and um, realtors steering folks certain places and restrictive covenants that really uh, created this moniker that we have in Chicago being the most diverse, segregated city in the world, right? Uh, and so we should look at those issues from the past and learn from them. This is an opportunity for us to shine and to show the rest of the country how to get this right. 
Absolutely. You know, and, uh, uh, when you when you started talking about the the great migration, uh, what uh, State Representative Buckner was talking about, of course, is the great migration of black people from the South to the city of Chicago. There were two of them, two great migrations, one at the start of the 20th century and one after World War II. Uh, and I came up while you were going on. I was just shaking my head, uh, man, when it came to segregating new black residents keep them out of white neighborhoods and just reinforce segregation in the city of Chicago. And the city had no problem building high rises. Suddenly building was not an issue. When it came to segregating black people and assuring white people, don't worry, they're not coming to your neighborhoods. We're going to put them right here in this high rise project along the Dan Ryan. No problem building housing. You know, now suddenly it's like, huh, how do we build housing? I, I, I'm like, it, they're acting like this is the most complicated thing in the world, Kevin. The city of Chicago is filled with so many developers and builders, and and yet we're like befuddled. How can we do this? I don't. It's like they've never built anything in the city. I, I'm, I really can't even get the words out. Why is it, in your humble opinion, are people reacting to this as though it's just some overwhelming, unsolvable mystery? Uh, how to build housing in the, for in in the city of Chicago? Help me with this. I need to. I really can't understand this. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and listen, we, we we have an opportunity that most cities don't have here. Ben, we we have uh, the space for infield development, what they call you know, uh, which is the opposite of urban sprawl, which is where you're, you're using the space that you have um, to 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 bolster um, your 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 housing stock. This is not rocket science, right? And and I think, unfortunately, because this has gotten so complicated, as you said, this is a city issue. This is a state issue. This is absolutely a federal government issue that the federal government is falling uh, flat on its face on right now, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think because of that, it, it's who's on charge. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is that the people who live here live in, I think, all the great American cities who are, are going through this same exercise right now, uh, need to stand up and tell their elected officials what they need from them, right? Um, that, that requires more from us in Springfield. That requires a, a more uh, from uh, the federal government. And it, that, inquire, that requires a um, concentrated effort here in the city. Well, here's my suggestion. And actually, when uh, Mayor Johnson uh, came and spoke uh, to our first Tuesday show uh, at the Promontory, I believe maybe in your district or very close to it, uh, I put it to him. One, is it in the district or just out of the district? One block, one block east. Of okay, one block east, almost in the district. Uh, uh, so when he came, uh, and and this is sort of piggybacking in the point you just made, I was like, President Biden wants to come to Chicago in the summer of 2024 and use this city as the backdrop to launch his presidential reelection campaign. He wants to use Chicago to promote himself, and right now plans are underway to make this a spectacular event that will herald Biden's reelection campaign and uh, enable him to defeat who, Donald Trump. I presume that'll be his opponent. So I'm like, well, you want something from us. We need something from you. Number one, the old Chicago, you help us, we help you thing. Uh, so that would be one point I really hope that Governor Pritzker and Mayor Johnson make to Joe Biden. And the other point, uh, uh, Cam is this is a, a more painful one, which is if if this is a disaster in the city of Chicago in terms of uh, resettling asylum seekers, and you know the buses are going to keep coming, 
if this is a disaster, that just hurts Biden. So even if he doesn't care about the city of Chicago, which I hope that's untrue, he does care about his reelection. So one or the other, either self-interest or the larger interest of the city of Chicago and Illinois, he should be uh, helping us with money to undercut uh, to uh, to pay for resettling folks and putting people to work, putting people to work. Can't say that enough. Let's have the fifth ward and the 21st wards and Cam Buckner's district build these houses. That's my opinion. Your thoughts. I I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And I hope that we're able to take away from our our current circumstance some 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 truths that that we can use to kind of guide our paths. Um, what I also think that we need from, uh, you know, not just the federal government, but for, from all of us conversations, as I think you mentioned earlier, Ben, uh, is to be honest about how we got here, be honest about why there are 5,000 Venezuelans leaving their country single day, um, to be honest about the mayoralcy when it came to President Maduro uh, and um, how now Hugo Chavez is there and um, is very Trumpian in, in many ways and why people are leaving, right? That has to be something that the federal government and all of us who are having these conversations have to be serious about. Um, furthermore, there has to be, as you said, some resources and some opportunities that come from this uh, in wards like the fifth ward and the 21st ward and the sixth ward uh, who are in Chicago just trying to make it every single day. The last thing I'll say as another parallel to the Great Migration um, is that we paint this kind of sterilized, sanitized version of what happened in the first and the second wave of the Great Migration. Um, and it, it's made us not be serious about what's happening now for folks who are seeking asylum. Great Migration was not about jobs. It was about racial terror. Um, when my grandfather came here from Mississippi, he already had a job. Uh, what he didn't have was safety. Um, and so uh, here in this space, uh, you're using that same type of terror folks who have been through a lot. Uh, you're putting them, pitting them against folks who are still dealing with racial terror um, the uh, policies that have come down from Christians, right? So we got to be honest about that. And that's how we get through this uh, and find a better way forward. All right. Uh, that is a great point. And that leads me uh, to a shout out to you. Um, you have been nominated for an Emmy. Uh, so first of all, congratulations for that. I, 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 and I, I did not notice uh, Shia Kapos one more time, scoop. Uh, I did not know this until I read Shia's column today, uh, but you've been nominated for an Emmy for a, a commercial you did for your campaign. Uh, I'll read it here, Shia's uh, a copy. Uh, Illinois House Leader Cam Buckner's 2023 mayoral campaign announcement video called Son of Chicago was nominated for an Emmy Award in the category Outstanding Achievement for Branded Content, Short Form Content. Uh, Buckner's godson, Gregory, played a younger version of Buckner, who also appeared in the ad and wrote and delivered the voiceover bands, writing stuff. And I was going to take my job before too long. Uh, and so first of all, congratulations. And I, I rewatched the video today. And it, it's like some of the same themes uh, are uh, articulated in that video as what I'm, you and I have been talking about. So the video shows uh, your grandson, who at first I thought was like you. I thought, is that him? Like from as a kid or something? And no, it was your grandson. That's not grandson, not grandson yet. My bad, godson. He's too- not that old. So uh, anyway, so it shows uh, him walking through, I guess it's the south side of Chicago. Uh, and uh, you're talking about uh, the opportunities that Chicago presents and the challenges Chicago uh, presents. And it's like a very hopeful, optimistic tone. 
uh, and theme uh, that you're addressing. And again, it just comes back to what I'm saying is why do we accentuate the, the uh, difficulties of the challenge we're facing? You know, why aren't we accentuating the opportunities? So when I look, Re-listen, when I listen to your com- commercial, Cam, it's all about the potential, the opportunity that we have to take something that's bad right now and making, I don't know, improving it and uh, making the city better. I-, I feel as though we only hear that theme when candidates are running for office. I worry that we don't hear it when they're in office. Yeah, so listen, I, I, uh, I woke up yesterday to the surprising news that um, the the uh, campaign was uh, nominated for, um, and you know it was, wasn't something I was uh, expecting, uh, but it was something that we put a lot of kind of heart and soul into. Um, being the the idea behind, um, you know, having a younger version of me who was played by my my godson Greg. His his father is one of my best friends who I played football with in high school, um, and then you know having me uh, in my in my current age. Uh, there that actually came from one of my colleagues. I was having uh, lunch with uh, um, Speaker Pro Tem Jahan Gordon Booth from Peoria, Illinois, uh, and we were talking about you know how to convey a message uh, of, of hope through a campaign commercial. And she and she conjured that up, and so I was lucky some folks uh, in Fortress Consulting who were able to bring that to reality, and it was just fun. It was heartfelt, and when I decided I was running for mayor, Ben. I told the folks closest to me that I didn't want to run a campaign, but I wanted to take it from a little boy to his city. Um, and that that campaign commercial announcement video uh, really kind of encapsulated that. And so it was it was fantastic. It was fun. Um, really an honor and a privilege to be to be nominated for Emmy. One of the great things, and I know we'll talk about some of this stuff later on in the show, is that I'm in a category with five other um, short videos and one of them. Bay Packers organization. So if we get the, <laughs> if we can get up on the Packers and the Emmys, um, we should take that win. <laughs> That's ridiculous. What did their what did their commercials say? Have, have you looked at the competition? I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I'll I'll check it out this weekend at some point. Oh my God, the Packers beat them, <laughs> beat them again. Well, wait, I can't say beat them again because I think it's been like beat them the first time <laughs> five ten years since the Bears beat the Packers. Uh, but yeah, it's it uh, again. I'll just repeat this: that uh, I, the optimism that I see conveyed by candidates when they're running uh, for office, I'd like to see more of that can-do optimism when they're in office. And um, just I, yeah, go ahead. I think a big part of it is that for folks who are in positions like mine who are elected, um, it's very easy to kind of get stuck in your bubble and siloed and and uh, only look at the inside walls of the chamber that you represent. For me, it's always been really important to be intentional about getting out and being in my community and talking to people and remembering why I do this work in, in the first place, right? And not to get so-called the, the machination of political day-to-day that you forget about the people. Um, and so I'm re-inspired. I need that, right? I, I'm re-inspired every day by, you know, the people uh, outside. And one thing about being on the campaign trail is that you're doing that all the time, right? I just would implore uh, my colleagues and my counterparts that when you win your election, uh, continue on that on that cadence, right? Because that's how we keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on um, and, and, you know, go on and do good work for our people. 
All right. Uh, and uh, so speaking of good work for the people, a shout out to the state of Illinois. Uh, April Pereira was on the show last week, a criminal defense lawyer. We talked at length about the abolition of uh, cash bail. I believe I'm lost track of time. I believe it uh, Monday was the day that the law uh, went into effect. Uh, and I know you were one of the, uh, the people at, in Springfield who were pushing for this bill. So why don't you talk about uh, your hope for goals uh, that will emerge uh, from uh, this bill now being law. Yeah, this this is monumental legislation. Uh, and and my, my hope, my prayer, my desire is that I will to set the course for what criminal, um, what a crim- real criminal justice system should look like for the rest of the country. I've said this out loud, man. I've said that I will, I will never uh, call this criminal justice reform because in my heart, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe that we have a criminal justice system to reform. I think we have a criminal legal system that has put profits over people. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, not uh, been safer because of it. We are the most carcerated country in the, in the world, um, but uh, folks don't feel safer because we're not, right? So if, if just locking people up made people safe, then we would be great, but that's not how it works fundamentally, right? And so also, uh, you know, what this does is it shifts uh, our system so that it doesn't matter what you have is taken into account is what you have been accused of doing um, and what you have been accused of doing or done in, in the past. And so this is a step in the right direction. You know, I, I remind people who try to make the constitutional arguments against this, which we have won in, in court, uh, is that the United States Constitution provides us a foundation and a fundamental fundamental right of uh, pre-trial liberty. Uh, we often talk about it, call it, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty, the way that this country is supposed to run. Uh, and so I'm excited about the work that we were able to do. I want to shout out um, Senator LG Sin and Robert Peters and Justin Slaughter, Representative Slaughter, for their work in this space. Um, uh, Governor Prisker for allowing the legislature to do this work and take the lead and to support us at every turn. Uh, we are going to get this right. Uh, and we're going to be paying close attention to it. It's not the panacea, but it is one step in the right direction to make Illinois a, a fairer, um, safer state. Yeah. And uh, uh, someone uh, who came on the show about a, uh, two weeks ago, shout out Steve Kraft, came up with this wisecrack, which I had never heard this version of it. Uh, and that is a uh, a liberal is a conservative who's been arrested. All right. right. So uh, liberals, conservative. I've always heard like a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged, but I never heard a liberal is a conservative who's been arrested. Uh, And today, yeah, I know. It's very funny. I've been quoting it and I finally gave him credit for it. Try to pretend like I came up with it, but no, it was Steve Kraft. Uh, And uh, so, anyway, to that point, uh, Donald uh, Trump, in his own weird way, has become the biggest advocate for a no cash bail. I don't believe Trump. Doing this off the top of my head, he's he's got four. He's facing four indictments, Pam. I'm not sure he had to pay cash bail on any of them. Uh, None of them, right? I don't believe he did. Um, And furthermore, when when more indictments uh, possibly come at the federal level, this is also our conservative friends forget uh, the federal judiciary uh, for many years have has given up on the cash bail system because it does not work. Um, They're either going to hold you or they're not. Uh, and that's based on the severity of what you what you're accused of, based on whether or not you're a flight risk, your connection to your community. Uh, and so, no, it was good enough for Donald Trump. Uh, our buddies uh, on the conservative side should know that a, a woman who is accused of shoplifting pampers from a Walgreens should not languish in jail because she doesn't have 200 bucks. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and by the way, ultimately, what good does it do? We talked about this at length uh, with April. It's like someone is in jail because he or she can't pay bail. Then they can't keep their job and they can't provide for the family. So what ultimate benefit has been served other than, uh, you know, employing prison guards or what have you, which I suppose is a benefit of one line. Uh, Donald Trump just put this out. Uh, Cam, a, a listener, Frank, sent it to me. Thank you, Frank. I'll show it to you. You can't see it, but I'll read it to you. Uh, Donald Trump put this out. It is a photograph of Trump's mugshot. Uh, and it's obviously a solicitation for funds. And it says, free Trump, make America free again in 2024. And I'm laughing out loud. Donald Trump is free right now. He's not even, it's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> you're not incarcerated, Trump. Wow, wow. It, it, Trump, Trump never lets the facts get in the way uh, of doing what he needs to do. <laughs> yeah, doing what he needs to do, which in this case is uh, raising money. So we'll see how it goes. Before I move on, uh, What's your anticipation of the, the politicalization of this? So, you know, MAG is not going to let your colleagues in the state house, the MAGA colleagues, your Republican colleagues, uh, they're just, you know, they're not going to let it go because they, I guess they think in the back of their minds that somehow or other they could exploit it for political gain. Do you see any challenges ahead, uh, politically speaking, uh, to this new law? There will be. This is, this is just one, one step in the process. Um, and they'll be pushed back. Uh, one, one of the, the great quotes I'll, Give some attribution to in this space as well is that right after we passed the safety act two and a half three years ago at this point and we had three other very significant pillars and the black caucus that were meant to deal with systemic racism i was uh, having a, a meal with senator Ryan and senator p uh goes you know when you fight systemic inequality it will always fight you back um, and so we will be ready for those fights at every single turn. Uh, but listen, th this is um, something that we had to do. Um, and, and I want to remind folks, um, this is a new Illinois legislature. We're not waiting for New York and California to do stuff and then for us to sit back on our heels and, and, and pick off what they did and, and try to create our own version of it. We are leading the country um, in, in smart, progressive policy that is moving the needle. All right. Uh, very good. So, so speaking of legislatures, let's move into the next uh, topic on the agenda. And I sent you a homework assignment. Uh, and uh, so I apologize for making you do homework for coming on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, but uh, this was a uh, essay uh, that was in today's New York Times uh, by Michelle Cottle, who is a columnist for the New York Times editorial writer. Uh, and maybe Matt Gates is right. And so she's alluding to the uh, Florida congressman, the MAGA to the core congressman, who's putting pressure on Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy. So just so you folks know, we talk about this a lot uh, when we do uh, national politics. But uh, in Congress right now, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker Republican, has a very, very narrow hold on his speakership, to put it mildly. Uh, first of all, it's a very tight, it's a very close uh breakdown in uh, Washington. I believe the Republicans only outnumber their Democrats by, I think, four or five uh, in, in, in total. So McCarthy needs every single Republican he can to hold on to his speakership. Uh, and so that includes what I call the Maggiest of all the MAGA, uh, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, uh, and uh, uh other uh, extremists, and they've been putting pressure on him from the get-go to be even more right-wing uh, than he is. And now they're holding up a uh, appropriations bill uh, for the military on the uh, grounds that he hasn't come through on his promises. 
Uh, and uh, the uh, the essayist makes the point, well, uh, McCarthy has no one to blame but himself because he made promises to the MAGA Corps uh, to get their votes to elect him speaker in the first place. And uh, so now they're holding him accountable for the promises he should never have made uh, in the first place. When I read this, uh, I knew you were coming on the show. I thought to myself, how would speakers Madigan and Welsh the Democratic leaders of uh, the House in Springfield deal with such a situation. So, Cam, the question is put to you. The floor is yours. How would Madigan and Welsh deal with this matter? Well, so first off, I know you, you say you gave me some homework, Ben, um, which I'm okay with. But if you ask anybody who ever taught me, they'll tell you that I probably didn't do it. Um, so I, I didn't read the entire thing you sent me over. But um, I, I am uh, abreast on what's going on. I'll start off by saying I think you're right. Uh, Speaker McCarthy made a number of very stupid concessions in order to secure, to secure um, the support from uh, the ultra MAGA right wing of his party. Um, and uh, part of those concessions were, were rule changes uh, that now allow, allow just one single member of the House, Democrat or Republican, to file a motion to vacate, which forces a vote to remove the Speaker. Um, they, they they would file what they call a, a privilege resolution declaring that the office of the speaker is vacant and then they got to vote on it uh, and they only need a simple majority of the house to kick McCarthy out of office and so um, I saw this coming a long time ago uh, and I'm really surprised that it took this long and, and we'll see how how this how this ends up uh, but I'll say this you know I think the important uh, the most important traits of, of a successful speaker. Uh, is a speaker who's able to galvanize his or her caucus. Um, and the best way to do that is knowing what's important to the people uh, who put you in that space, right? Um, I, I can say this uh, without fear of, um, of being wrong here. Uh, speak, speaker Welch, uh, who has the largest Democratic majority uh, that this state has ever seen, uh, has been able to do it masterfully, uh, both uh, politically and um, from a government side, uh, because he knows the districts of the people who uh, put uh, and, and Speaker Welch is very attuned with the, the ethos and the tone and the tenor of his caucus. Uh, he knows everything that's going on. Um, and not just in the, not, 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 not because, you know, he, he wants to be um, the, the guy in charge, but because he actually cares about this. And, and um, knowing what's important to your members uh, is how you're able to move legislation, is how you're able to figure out where the holes are. Um, where the where the inequities are, um, and how to move a, a caucus as big as ours, seventy eight Democrats. That's a lot of them. Um, and how to move us uh, together uh, in a union. I also will say, man, that uh, that is uh, very aligned with what I saw uh, in the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and in the United States House of Representatives. Um, Speaker Welch and I took a trip to D.C. a couple of years ago when he first got elected and spent some time with Speaker I was blown away by her ability to know uh, down to, you know, precinct level stuff, what was going on in certain Illinois districts, especially the ones that were um, important for her majority, for her majority. Um, and, and that's what you need to do. Um, you know, but I also will say that uh, Republicans have not made the best speakers. You know, in this, in the last 20 years, I, I guess Boehner may have been uh, their best shot. He wasn't really good at the job. Um, you know, you have to go all the way back to the turn of the century, I think, of, of a, a great Illinoisan, by the way, Joseph Gurney Cannon, um, who uh, probably was the most successful Republican speaker ever. 
Um, you know, there are some loops out there, but they've not done a good job at this. Democrats have done much better in controlling the House and, and having speakers who were able to stuff done both politically, electorally, and from a policy standpoint, folks like Sam Rayburn and Tip O'Neill and obviously Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and we won't even start talking about Denny Hastert because we don't have enough time. Yeah, uh, Denny. Yeah, let's not talk about Denny Hastert. What an embarrassment. Uh, in the uh, uh, the homework assignment that uh, you won't, you did not complete, uh, and you... <laughs> Suddenly, I have sympathy for your history teachers at Morgan Park High School. Oh, this camp bunker doesn't do anything. Uh, so in the assignment that you did not complete, there's a quote from Jim Clyburn, uh, the uh, uh, congressman from South Carolina who knows a thing or two about uh, politics, to put it mildly. He's the reason Joe Biden is president today. Uh, and um, he said something that I've been – I been thinking about this for now whatever however long it's been uh i i don't understand uh clabbert has suggested that mccarthy long ago should have reached out to akeem jeffries who is the uh the leader of the democrats uh in the, the house and forget the maggie magas forget them cut the deal with the democrats what what do we have in common and uh as a lefty there's a lot I can say that moderate Republicans, if such a thing exists, and moderate Democrats have in common. And a lot of it is with stuff I would oppose, <laughs> but there's stuff in common. I don't understand why, just from a tactical point of view, he didn't just say, to hell with MAGA MAGA, and I'm going to cut a deal with Democrats. Uh, I'll hold on to the power, and I'll get to my lifelong dream of being speaker. Uh, I think that would be probably an easier coalition to govern than dealing with these wacko MAGA types. Uh, your thoughts on the Jim Clyburn suggestion? I, I, I think, as always, um, uh, Congressman Clyburn is, is leader. Clyburn is is spot on. Um, when you look at, you know, uh, the the once again the, the the tone right now in in D.C. McCarthy would do much better by having common sense conversations with practical and pragmatic Democrats. Um, but he has refused to, to do that. Uh, and it's going to really, I think, sink his ship in many ways. Um, Democrats, whether some of us are, are, are not um, a fan of how civil uh, we may act sometimes in, in, in uh, federal politics, uh, the Democratic Congress uh, really ha has shown that they're there to do the work. I'm going back to this new rule that one member can force a, a speaker vote. That includes Democrats, and Democrats have not done that. I mean, if they catch me on a bad day, I would do it every single day, right? <laughs> um, every single day, and just make them vote on it every single day. Yeah. Um, but but we've played nice, right? Um, because we want to get the work of the people done. This is what I truly believe, um, and so that is indicative of the fact that I think the speaker probably could come to freeze. Uh, and have a real conversation about the elementary type of coalition like we see in other other countries, of, you know, based on getting the work of the people done. Yeah, and uh, by the way, not no work is getting done anyway, so I urge uh, Delia Ramirez, uh, Cam's former colleague in the uh, State House, take Cam up. Let's man, force a vote every day. It'd be, it'd be fun to watch, if nothing else. Every day. Make them earn it every single day. <laughs> every single day. Delia Ramirez, I hope you're listening. Uh, something else that Shia wrote today, shout out, she accomplished her second reference. Uh, she talked in the column that she wrote today, very 
uh, about Republicans resigning or not running for reelection in the state house. And that made me think about the future of the Republican Party in the state of Illinois and how it plays out politically. A lot of these are the Republicans who aren't running. I don't I hate I hesitate to call them moderates because I don't know if there are moderates at a practical level uh, in the Republican Party anymore, uh, particularly what that's one of the impacts of gerrymandering uh, that it just completely uh, uh, undercuts moderate Republicans and gives MAGA a greater voice. Uh, so what's your sense of the future of the Republican Party uh, in Illinois? You know, you, you read the same article. You, you saw the same number. I think it's four uh, Republicans are not running for re-election. That's off the top yeah. of my head. Your thoughts? I don't know that there is um, for Illinois GOP. I mean, they will exist um, in some form or another, but uh, it's going to be hard to figure out kind of where they will derive their power from. Um, when you look at those four names that uh, were thrown out today, I know at least two of those folks I have close relationships with, and they're not moderates. Um, they are uh, right-wing guys and uh, never talked about we could be really good friends, but we have to talk about politics as well, which, um, you know, is there for me. Um, but, you know, you, you, you look at uh, kind of how polarized things have gotten, um, and I don't know what the plan forward is for the Illinois GOP. I think Governor Rauner left his party in shambles. Um, he really was focused on him and himself only, uh, and we're seeing the results of that. I also will say uh, that people are starting to reconsider if a moderate Republican can exist, uh, even in a state like Illinois. Uh, Adam, Adam Kendinger lives in Texas now. I'm not sure if you heard that he, he moved. Um, and so uh, it's going to be interesting to how they try to cobble together their coalition and figure out uh, what they look like moving forward, but I don't have great hope for uh, the Illinois GOP uh, in the in the near future. Well, I did not know that Kinsinger moved to Texas. I missed that. It's so ironic. Or uh, I don't know if Texas is going to be any uh, more welcoming to him than Illinois is. Uh, yeah, and uh, Rauner, aforementioned Bruce Rauner, who I agree with you, effectively destroyed the Republican Party in Illinois or badly wounded it, uh, has moved to Florida, and his benefactor, Kenny G., has also moved to Florida. So they're, they're all leaving. They're all leaving. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right, we'll, uh, we'll close with a little bear talk. As I said, uh, Cam Buckner was an outstanding football player at Morgan Park and the University of Illinois. knows a thing or two about football. Uh, Soldier Field's also in his district, so he knows a thing or two about uh, the efforts to keep the Bears uh, in Chicago. Uh, and I... I uh, before we get to keeping the Bears in Chicago, your thoughts, your latest thoughts on uh, the machinations there, I got to ask you as a um, uh, diehard football fan, what is – I can't even articulate this. How can the Bears be so bad, Cam? I mean, how could they get things so wrong and just continually make the same mistakes over and over again. And now I'm watching this hugely talented quarterback, Justin Fields. Just, I, I feel like they're destroying this man's confidence and his career. I feel the best thing for him would be to get away from this organization and go to uh, a football team with coaches who understand what his strengths are so they could maximize his strengths. Uh, as opposed to be stuck here in Chicago where the press is turning on him now. You know what I'm saying? Fans are turning on him now. I don't even think it's fair. Uh, your thoughts. Go ahead. 
Well, um, you know, being that the common adage is uh, denial is not just a river in Egypt, but I'll add to that, that uh, despair is not just an extra tire in the trunk. Um, it, is, it is really what we're seeing with this various argument right now, denial and despair. Um, when you can't tell if it's the O-line's fault, the quarterback's fault, or the coordinator's fault, or the head coach's fault, it's everybody's fault. Um, and I have not seen um, a team like this uh, in a long time. They seem just to not know what's going on. Uh, I saw it last week when you're running two or three receivers on the same route, um, calling screens on back-to-back plays. Um, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I think that our franchise quarterback, Justin Field, and I, w- I will continue to call him our franchise quarterback, um, is suffering through a bit of an identity crisis. I, I would imagine – yeah, Ben, as, as, a, as a guy who uh, made his bones uh, chasing quarterbacks, I know a little bit about quarterbacks. And, and what I'm watching when I watch Justin Fields is a, a quarterback who is suffering through what I'll call an identity crisis. You know, his footwork is different than it was last year. Uh, he's, he's throwing kind of off base. He has shortened his uh, drops in the pocket. His arm angle seems to be adjusted, and it's like kind of real funky way. Um and I think that that, you know, normally is uh, a result of um, a, a coaching staff trying to break down a quarterback, right? So I would imagine they, they get see and um, the offensive coordinator and, and the quarterback's coach, uh, Andrew uh, Janoko, um, have probably had a lot of conversations and done a lot of work with Justin, which I think is making him not feel comfortable. Um, he's afraid to throw deep. There's no urgency in the pocket. He won't get rid of the ball. Um, he looks a little bit confused out there. And so I know he talked a bit uh, this week about getting back to himself and just not thinking so much and playing instinctive. I, I hope, I hope he does that, uh, but it's not just him. I mean, the offensive line, which was the thing that we were supposed to fix in the draft, it is still a sore spot. Um, you know, Braxton Jones and, and Darnell Wright uh, have not been who we have wanted them to be at this point. Uh, there's still too many penalties that their, their feet are slow. Um, and there's issues there. The, the other part I'll say, Ben, is that I'm really surprised by this, but we don't run the ball. Um, we're supposed to be a run play action team. Uh, and, you know, we, I think, are like 25th in the league right now in rushing attempts. Uh, and that's including having a guy like Justin Fields, who um, is really good on, on the run. Uh, and so, you know, not giving the ball to your running back, setting up the pass with the run and vice versa uh, is problematic. And so we got to do something. And lastly, as a defensive line guy, uh, whatever the D line is doing right now is not working. Uh, there's no interior rush. There's no exterior rush. We're not hurrying the quarterback, not rushing them. And when we do get back there, we're just kind of tapping them and not even tackling. Um, this is uh, a team that's in shambles right now. Yeah, a team that's in shambles. My beloved Bears are in shambles. Uh, do you have any hopes for th- Sunday's game against Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback who should be playing for the Bears uh, and uh, be- playing Kansas City? You know, I... Uh, I'm an eternal optimist, and I think on any given Sunday, anything can happen. Uh, but it, it's, it's hard to think that we're going to come out of uh, this game Sunday uh, any better than we are right now. Uh, I, I think the, the head coach needs to kind of wrap his arms around his team and put his foot down and, and say um, what the expectations are. I, I hear, um, I hear, I hear the coach talk a lot about fighting, and this team does fight, but they're having a hard time winning. Fighting is not enough. Right, you gotta you gotta fight with an end goal in mind, right? And so, um, hopefully they can they can pull this together. 
but you know, this is the time of year being where I get to practice my, my favorite pastime, which is being critical of the Chicago Bears. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of this. I'll, this may hurt your feelings, but I, I was reminded of this today um, that uh, 11 years ago when the Bears fired Lovey Smith, he was 10 and 5. Yeah. Uh, 10 and 5, right? And we have only won 10 games one time in those 11 years since then. Uh, and I went back and did some research in the 101 seasons that we've played. We've only won 10 games 20 times. And five of those were under Levy Smith, uh, and so I I don't I don't enjoy this part of the year, uh, but hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah, uh, I'll just do a correction. I think he was ten and six. Whatever point, well taken. Uh, and uh, you're right. I cannot argue that point. So the final thing is, all right. So take off your Bears fan hat and put on your legislative hat. Uh, do you, as a legislature, connect the Bears' performance on their field uh, to whether the city uh, or the state should help them uh, pay for a new stadium? Or do you think that doesn't matter? It's all an economic development issue. Your thoughts? Well, listen, the, the things should be separate. Um, but it is hard to entice people to to give public subsidies uh, for a team that isn't making you feel good. It's just, just call it what it is, right? But they, they should be different conversations. Um, ben, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again today. Uh, you know, I'm more concerned, first off, I think the fiscally responsible thing to do is not to subsidize the building of a private stadium in the city or anywhere in the state. I've been very clear on that. I fought for it in Springfield. I remain unmoved by anybody that says different. Um, but what also is true, and, and you've heard me say this, Ben, uh, is that what's more important to me than what they do on the field is what they do in Chicago. Uh, they're the Chicago Bears, and I think for a long time they have not um, proven themselves to be uh, concerned with the city of Chicago. Um, you know me, I'm a Chicago kid. I played in the public league. I think it's uh, ridiculous that we've got one of the most profitable sports franchises in the world uh, who use the name, who uses the name Chicago, but we've got public league schools where kids are still sharing helmets. Um, what happens with workout equipment at Hallis Hall when they get done with it? Does, it? does it go to Robeson or does it go to Inglewood or does it go to, um, you know, Morgan Parker, Whitney Young or, or Phillips? It doesn't. Um, what is their connection to this city? Uh, and so for the Bears to come with hat in hand saying Chicago give us more or Illinois give us more, my question back to them uh, has been and will be, what have you done uh, for this city lately? Uh, and mm -hmm. I think they have to take a real look inside and see what, 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 they, what they have done. I, I, I told somebody just the other day, Ben, when I, when I worked um, in the front office of the Chicago Cubs, we uh, donated every year to the tune of, I think, between twenty dollars and $50,000 to the Chicago football classic, the black college football game that goes on the soldier field. Um, we were not joined by the bears uh, in that donation. Um, and so I think they're maybe, maybe donating now at a smaller, uh, a smaller clip, but if you're going to be the Chicago bears, be the Chicago Bears. show your fan base some respect. Um, there's no reason that we should have once again, football programs in this city where kids are sharing helmets and pads. Um, I'm looking for them to be a better corporate citizen uh, better, uh, more responsible to the people of Chicago. And then let's have some conversations about what we need to do um, to balance what needs to happen to keep the team here and uh, to make sure that the people of Chicago are taken care of as well. Uh, 
I applaud that. Uh, every time you come on the show, I hope you say it. Can't be said enough. We'll close the show where we began it. I think every decision going forth, be it giving money to the Bears, being it dealing with our, uh, the asylum seekers coming to Chicago, should be made with a consideration of how we can do this to help the neighborhoods that have been neglected the most in the city of Chicago. Fifth Ward, 21st Ward, 6th Ward, 8th Ward, ninth Ward. It's far too long. Those neighborhoods have been neglected while these decisions have been made about how public dollars are spent. And we should use these as opportunities, in my humble opinion. I'm with you 100% on that, Cam. Uh, if the Bears want money, put up some money for the public schools of Chicago uh, and build a football program in the city so we, you know, all this talent uh, can be developed. Sure. All right, Cam, thank you very much. appreciate taking time to come on my humble little podcast. We'll talk to you in a couple months, all right? Thanks, my friend. You have a great one. You take care. That's Cam Buckner. I also want to thank producer Chris doing an outstanding job as always. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.